Hello and welcome to Las Blancas Podcast. I'm your host, Omarvin, and I'm joined by Grant Little. And man, has it been a rough, rough start this season for Real Madrid Femenino. We got that high in the Champions League with Manchester City, but besides that, it has not been good, man. It's been five league games, four losses, one draw, recording several hours after Real Madrid lost to Athletic Bilbao 2-0 away from home, and it wasn't like the Real Sociedad game, which was the one league match where we were like, oh man, we played better, we got kind of unlucky, we were thoroughly outplayed in this one, we deserved to lose. I don't really think we even created a single good chance. And the game, besides maybe Atenea at the very end, which was, you know, kind of a half chance due to the angle she was shooting from, it was not good. And we've dropped 14 points in 15 games, which, if I'm remembering correctly, I said we dropped 28 points last season. So that's already 50% of last season's total gone. Like, this is not good. This is not good. I think it's fair to say that we're in a full-blown crisis at the moment. You can't go through five games and only pick up one point, and for that not to be the case at Real Madrid. And there's just all sorts of questions, only questions. Doesn't feel like there are any answers, but we're here on this podcast to try to give some to you. Grant, I mean, what are your immediate thoughts, right? Like, I know, I know, I know they're not good. I know yeah, it was, it was a rough good. day. It's not I, good. If we were relying on the men's team to pick us up, Ancelotti called that the worst performance of the season. So, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot. There was, there was one thing, Ona Bate trying to tweet out different gravy and incorporate that correctly in a sentence, which she did not, which drew a smile for me. So it's, it's been the little things today. But if we're looking at, at you know, rounded football to, to make us happy, that's not happening. No, no, it's not. I mean, and it was just a like at least with the Real Sociedad game, there were things that we could look at and be like, we look better. We may not have gotten the result. We might have actually gotten a little unlucky in that game, even though you know we talked about how we didn't really create many chances. But this game was just just so bad, and it's all of the things that have been bad throughout the entire year, except in those couple games against Manchester City. I mean, I think. Honestly, we created more chances in one match against Manchester City than we've created in the rest of our league games combined. And obviously now we take that with a grain of salt after seeing how City has performed. But I mean, that's high. Like after that, these two teams that are good teams just have been unable to get anything to go their way. There's a lot we're going to get into. As I said, before we started recording, this is essentially going to be like a two-parter. Whatever we have to say about the game, but then answering all the bigger picture questions. Osnar's future, reasons for where we are now, we'll get to that, so just stick around. I don't think we're going to go too deeply into the game, to be honest. I mean, we're going to discuss it for sure. We're going to make sure we do it justice, but not only is it painful to talk about it'll be a lot of repetition if we were to go through minute by minute. I don't think we need to do that. So we'll, we'll just get through this grant. What do you think about the starting 11? Yeah, I was surprised to see Caroline Muller Hansen in. I think that our wingers in Olga and Athenea have been some of the only real creative forces in the team. 
And to see Olga, who I think has probably had the slight edge, if you look at some of these more recent league games, um, yeah, not having her in the 11, I think, hurt, especially when she was replaced by Muller, because no disrespect to Muller, she just hasn't had time to really integrate with the team. And that was wholly evident today. She was a bit of a black hole offensively. I mean, our whole team was, but it was noticeable. Some of her touches letting her down, just getting pickpocketed almost every time she had the ball, making some sloppy passes, just couldn't even complete five-yard passes at some points. And it, it was a bit of a struggle for her, I felt. So Osnar going for a, a few rotations. I, I go back and forth with it because Olga's the better player. We desperately need a win. So maybe you just think we got to do this, right? Like maybe the Champions League game is actually the one to, to rotate in. Um, we're facing Zaito Blood, or I don't, I mean. Yeah, I don't one. even know. There's so many <laughs> damn consonants in that name. Um, but that's, I think that's the team we're facing, right? Which, I mean, we can't take any opponent for granted what we've seen, but. Maybe that would be one to rotate in. Who knows? Like, it's it's difficult because we're we're in such an injury crisis right now, and you don't want to overwork any one player. I just feel like the next game is the most important for us, given where we are. I think we just need to get back, like remember what it's like to win a match again, because it just feels like we're spiraling. But again, we'll get to all the bigger picture stuff. I wasn't too surprised. By basically anyone else, you know, he did some rotation so far. There comes into the eleven, and uh, obviously Lorena starts behind Naikari Garcia over on a four-two-three-one formation because Esther Gonzalez is out injured, as the news came out, I think the day before the game or something like that. So the rest was straightforward to me. How did you feel about kind of the start of the game? Because there weren't many chances being created, really, from us. Many, I mean, zero, basically, were being created. There was one Lorena Navarro shot, like, in the 14th minute or something. But when I went back and watched, it seemed like a fairly even game. Like, we were doing all right defensively. It's not like Athletic were peppering us with shots, constantly getting in the final third. It felt like we were doing okay, right? The possession wasn't quite going as, as, as we wanted to, but it's not like we were just giving balls away you know, not like we did later in the match. So how did you feel about the start of the game and what your kind of feelings were about how things were going to develop based on what you saw initially? I thought the start was decent. Like you said, we had a bit of the ball. Now, granted, a lot of that was kind of in our own half and in the middle of the pitch, but we looked decent. We, we did a good job picking off some passes in the final third and that kind of having some transition moments. The transition moments didn't come to fruition, but I was like, if we get some of these with Athenea and Moeller and Naikari and Lorena all running at the back line, like this is probably our best way to create because last year we talked about it. We're, we're much better tra in transition offensively. Once teams start to sit back, that's when we have a, a hard time being patient, sustaining waves of attack. So I thought, honestly, I was like, could, could we finally get something out of this? Could this be the type of game that allows us to find a couple goals because we have these semi-transition opportunities and I thought we were doing well enough defensively to start the match, but then that just deteriorated as the match progressed. 
and Atletic got better and were better on the ball. And even when we had more of the ball at times, they still created the better opportunities and were able to create quite a few pretty decent chances. And we just didn't have anything until like the 80th minute. Yeah. So I think where we are now is that we're a transition team, as you were kind of talking about. We rely on our press and winning duels to launch attacks to be able to create chances. It's why our best game of the season was the first leg versus Manchester City, where we're pressing really high like maniacs. We, you know, we forced Manchester City to be the front foot team and we were, we, it was like all clicking for us. And I think it's a positive that like we can reach those types of defensive heights but we haven't necessarily shown the consistency across the season to where I think like we can be that type of team. And there are teams that really like lead from defense, you know, from, you know, managing pressing from, you know, different stances across the pitch from winning duels, right. We think about Atletico Madrid though, you know, their, their approach has tended to be a lot more conservative, but a team like Liverpool, which, you know, gradually they've, you know, gone more and more to being a ball dominant team which i think is kind of telling but then you look at like a side like rb salzburg where jesse marsh is kind of and, and so far unsuccessfully trying to do that with rb leipzig though earlier you know nagelsman kind of started off with leipzig that way and then again kind of telling me has moving more had moved more and more to, to, to kind of more of a patient slower ball dominant approach before then you know obviously he's at Bayern munich now jesse marsh has taken over but there are examples right like it is possible to do. I'm just not convinced as impressed as I am with like some of the general fundamentals we have defensively, the structure when it's on seems solid. And, you know, I don't have that many problems with it tactically. I think it's clear, especially given the players we had, right. The profile, you know, the offensive intent, the desire to control that we can like go through a season like this, just relying on that. We need to find, and this I've, I've been saying this, like what determines our ceiling is what we can do on the ball. And we need to find a way to elevate that because in situations like this, where it's just a couple of defensive errors and we can't last, you know, a full 90 minutes, just, you know, perfect, right? Really not making any mistake. If we can't do that, then you need, you need either your, to, your offense to cover it up, right? We're so efficient in transition. We're generating so much transition which was not the case today and it's not been the case in the league, or you find another way to, you know, just avoid facing, you know, attacks so often, which is, which is by controlling the ball, controlling the opposition, managing the pace really well. And, you know, we've talked about maybe the mentality of the team, you know, playing to the pace of the opposition. Fundamentally, I think it comes down to structure. We're, we're not under Osnar we're not a real possession unit. Like we don't have a clear idea of how to disorganize the opposition, create numerical advantages, pull people out if the obvious pass isn't there. And I think that's really the story of the game. And I mean, because we can talk about athletic created, but like their one versus ones came off giveaways, basically like really dumb, bad giveaways. Um, I think it was Naikari Garcia with the giveaway that led to their first one versus one. Whereas Lucia Garcia made like a really good pass in behind and Misa saved that up until that point, Athletic had nothing. So that I think is really, you know, what's, what's been killing us. There are other defensive issues like 
I thought Kenti and Cora there were like pretty poor defending the back post. Athletic were smart about making uh, runs there. I thought Kenti in general was not great about stopping crosses from coming in. So it's not like there weren't other things, but I feel like the fundamental issue, the inability to control the game on our terms, because again, we've seen the issue with the box midfield over and over again. I don't think it was quite as drastic as in the past because Athletic weren't really pressing like that. It was like a mid-high block being more you know, cautious about what they did, but very much shutting off the options, saying if you want to play through the middle, you really need to do something besides just asking Lorena to drop off. And Lorena was doing it well, in my opinion. Once again, she was the best player for us on the night, though not as good as, as, as a performance as before. And like, yeah, I mean, Athletic were able to handle, handle her largely because they knew what was coming. They threw people at her. They were physical with her. They overpowered her sometimes. And if that was the only option, which it was, it's, you know, it's too easy for a side that like, like athletic who came in organized, who came in prepared. It was clear they came in prepared, especially with the speed with which they got in behind our fullbacks on the counter attack. They knew exactly how to play us. And that's not great. Like we really, at this point, need to find better solutions on the ball. And yeah, I mean, that's just kind of the way I I sum up the problems, the, the main primary problem in this game, because if we're going to rely on like our, our, our kind of defense, dual focus, transition nature, it's just too volatile. And this is where I think Cardona comes into it. I've talked about this before, but I feel even more strongly about this now because we've seen, right, we've seen these exact same types of performances as last season, right? I'm not making it up. Like in the first half, you know, it's not that great. It's a 50-50. The other team creates some chances. We're not controlling, but we still, you know, Sometimes we still find our way to get the ball in the final third. And that's where someone like Cardona just made a difference. She was so efficient. She, she used her touches so well that in these types of moments, when we're not really playing that well, we get into the final third. She makes stuff happen. She creates chances. She puts pressure on the opposition. She, she makes them more cautious about stepping out, about attacking because they understand her threat. And then she sometimes pulls goals and assists out of her ass right? 14 goals, eight assists last season. And I, I, was, I was debating, like, am I just, is this my Cardona bias? But when I looked at what we did today, right? And I looked at the players we had on the flanks, and I, I promise I'm not trying to single out Athenea here because, you know, she's my baby, right? Like, she's, you know, I'll, 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 I'll protect her to the death, right? Like, she's, she's my player. She's me, huh? But I think when you have a 20-year-old trying to shoulder the burden of the offense, you get games like we see today where nothing came off for her. All the take-ons, you know, almost all of them were miscontrolled. The defender tackled her. Her passing into the final third was awful, right? It was just off. And then I think it all built up into that chance she had at the end where, I mean, she skewed it so badly. She had time. And you could see afterwards in the replay, the camera pans to her and it's just pure frustration on her face. And Lorena tries to console her and she just kind of like pushes her aside because she's that angry. And to be honest, I really respect that Atenea is trying to take on that burden. She's trying to shoulder it. She wants to be that player for the team because that's her attitude. She has no fear, but she's 20 years old. She's not, she doesn't have the experience. She's not at that level yet to do it game in game now. And this is where, okay, you don't have Cardona. Then you add the fact that we don't have Aslani. Then you take out Esther, who by no means has had a perfect season. 
but in this type of game would fight her ass off. You know, we can talk about whether it's optimal or not, but when the entire structure and, and team wide play is not optimal, maybe sometimes you just need a player who will go and try to do it themselves. Like you start adding it all up. And what I see is on top of, you know, a really inefficient defunct possession game, we have a lack of decisive players up top, right? So I talk about Athenea, and I honestly think she was the most inefficient attacker on the night. But, you know, it's not like Muller was really that much better. She was mostly absent. She had a shot from distance. She had a couple of carries inside, largely looking lost rent. You already talked about it. And then Naikari was bad. She had a shot from distance, which like, I was like, okay, maybe that's going to get her going. And then like, basically her most relevant actions after that were giveaways, creating really dangerous attacks for the other team. And then, okay, yeah, I think she pressed fairly well. So when you put it all together, right, like you have a system offensively that's really not different from last season. You ask what's missing. What's missing are the decisive players that masked that last season, right? And I didn't even mention Aslani. And I mean, I don't think she was as impactful as Cardona, but she, I mean, she certainly masked them in certain instances, right? Like, you know, as, as little as she received between the lines, she still provided a different option. Her runs into the box were good. Even if her finishing wasn't always there, she was creating threat in the area. I guess I'm all over the place here. I'm just talking about the match as a whole because, again, I don't really know if it's necessary to go minute by minute because it's not like there was great minute by minute action for us to talk about. But these are the fundamental problems is the way I see it. And in, in terms of where we are now with you know, the coach we still have, I don't know if there's a way out of it. I mean, what do you think about that, Grant? Like, am I just, you know, am I, do I have my, my, my biased glasses on when I say that it's just, you know, there's a night and day difference with Cardona on this attack? I'm not even saying we necessarily win today, but we were, we were so inefficient with the moments we had. Like, I know we didn't build up well, but we built up enough, right? Like, there, were, there was enough wasted passes and bad crosses to where I think at least one of them should be good, right? Yeah, I, I have a few things to say. As for the Cardona thing, I think, I mean, that's huge. She was our best player last year. We're also missing our second best player last year in Aslani. I mean, debatable, but offensively, yes. Um, and you're also missing, you know, you talked about Esther, but we're missing Teresa, who was really good down the stretch last year. Her ability to help Maite in possession, slow things down, but also her ability to break lines with her dribbling and kind of attract defenders and then be able to play to Aslani and Cardona and have them get in more space, more 1v1s. I think we're missing a lot of the pieces that made us, that maybe duct taped over some of the systemic holes or structural gaps that we had last year. And then again, you talk about, you know, in that Real Sociedad game, we played okay. We played probably better than Real Sociedad, but we lost. I keep thinking back to this game early in the season last year against Ibar, and we got absolutely bossed for the entire first half. They pressed us out of the game. I think we ended up winning three to one with a Cardona, Aslani, and Olga goal. I could my my memory could be letting me down, but we got results in games that we didn't play well because of that kind of individual brilliance and ability to fight through things. And this year, even when we're playing okay, we can't get results. And I think when you look at the players on the field, even with all of the players that are injured, 
there are not that many teams in this league that if we decided that we want to possess the ball and play through teams, if we had the right tactics and the right structure, we should be able to do that against pretty much everyone but Barcelona, in my opinion. Especially when you add, you know, Cardona, Teresa, Esther, all these other players, Aslani in there. And the fact that we just resort to this kind of transitional game that can be so 50-50 is an issue, especially when these players that are always winning these duels are now absent. It's a problem because now we're not winning these duels. And when we're winning these duels, we're not doing so that often and we're not as clinical in the final third. And I mean, if you just look at the players that we have, we should be able to dominate teams. We should be able to pin them back and sustain wave after wave of pressure. Obviously, there are very good coaches and very good teams that are going to be able to kind of find ways around this. But we, we haven't been able to put together anything like that, and it's, it's not good enough. And I think it's telling that a lot of our dominance from the Real Sociedad game came from Real Sociedad not having a good press and just opening things for us. I mean, Arroyo admitted it afterwards. And when I kind of wondered why didn't they just do the straight 4-4-2, you know, defensive structure slash high press, you know, Athletic Bilbao did a 4-4-1-1 type thing, you know, what, kind of mim- mimicking what we do, having one of the front two on might be a striker coverage. And I mean, it didn't like totally shut us down, but again, it's timing so much. It, they made it difficult for us. And that's the issue, right? It's that when a team decides to make things difficult for us, it's like the result gets thrown up in the air. And that, I mean, that's, that's the frustrating thing. And it's not even about, okay, when you stop losing duels, it's you can win you know, 90% of duels and like you can still have plenty of games where they're not leading to counter. You know, if you think about the amount of duels and the locations they need to be won at to be leading to cat, like these really dangerous counterattacks all the time. Like it, it doesn't happen that often unless you're truly in, like impressing, you know, insanely high all the time. And you're like one of the best teams to do it. And, you know, it's not like we were necessarily pressing that high this game, um, you know, more mid high, mid high block kind of waiting for them to pass the wings. Right. And we, we want a decent amount of duels for 15, 20 minutes, but a lot of the times when you win the duel, you're going to have to reset in possession. And if you can't do much from there, like, okay, yeah, you defended, you got yourself on the ball and maybe you created like another wave of pressure or something, but ultimately you still have to, you still have to beat a set defense and get the goal. And if you can't do that, you can't create chances and you can't control a game because you're going to do, you're going to play giveaways like we did versus athletic Bilbao, which was essentially the source of their offense in, in the first half. And, you know, I think it just unsettled us, right? Like I thought Maite started off pretty strong on the ball. I thought Zonoza started off fairly strong. And it's just like, as some of these mistakes started to build up, as we started to feel the pressure, there isn't that resilience we saw last season because we, we never really had a run, a bad run like this, right? And it's just like, you could see the doubt creeping in. Jurgen Klopp, I mean, going in a totally different direction now, but promises related after the Manchester City, did a really good game, by the way, draw versus Manchester City. We talked about how mentality is connected to tactics and, you know, how, I mean, we, I try to be careful about mentality because people love to overemphasize it to a ridiculous degree, but I think very smart people, 
pretend that it doesn't exist wrongly because people overemphasize it. It's into it's intimately connected. So as long as you you know weigh and value them correctly, you cannot execute on the field without a right mentality connected to a right plan. And you know without the confidence of the runs of the victories and stuff that kind of supported our mentality, that supported our resilience, we had no real plan to turn back onto. And so doubt started to creep in and just affect everything, right? If 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 your success is dependent on individuals rising above the system. And the individuals start to feel indecisive, right? They start to feel nervous and there's nothing really to fall for them to fall back on, right? Like, cause Jurgen Klopp was able to tell them, okay, you guys are messing up. The press is bad. Your line is back. Let's go back to how we, we play, right? And the reason he can say that, and in 15 minutes or less at half time, he can communicate that message is because he has a very clear philosophy about how Liverpool play on and against the ball. And when he says that, his players know what they mean. And so when he communicates, you need to be more aggressive. You need to step up here. Everything clicks because that to them doesn't just mean be more aggressive. It means, okay, in this particular instance, in this tactical context, we need to do something. I, I mean, I'm not in the dressing room, but I really haven't seen anything at Real Madrid to convince me it's anything like that, right? So, you know, a motivational speech at halftime is not going to be nearly as effective because, it, I mean, it's not linked to anything, you know, larger and systemic. And so, you know, if confidence and, and, you know, their only fallback is their own ability and they have doubts in that quite obviously, because we've been really poor to start the season, then you're just going to see a downward spiral effect as the game goes against us, as a prepared opponent starts to create chances, as we start making mistakes. And really like literally every 10 minute period, we just got worse and worse progressively, right? Like Usually it's a game of ebb and flows. Not it just kept getting worse. Like I genuinely don't remember a period where which was better than the last. And that that's a disappointing thing, right? This feeling that this resilience we had last season that was such a strength has just been stripped away, and there's no fallback. And I think you could start to see that at the end of the first half, even though Athletic didn't score. From a decent twenty minutes, it started to get to oh man, like you know what's going on here to. That was an ugly ending to the half. And I don't, you know, I, I don't feel confident. So anything else you want to say about that first half? Um, I mean, I know they, they created like another one, you one chance or something like that. They started to put crosses into the box. You know, Cora there got beaten on the back post one time. I think we had some pretty crucial interventions from Bob's and um, another one from Cora to keep it from keep athletic from opening the scoring. So there was, you know, at least some decent recovery runs to to prevent the goals, but ultimately that that wasn't sustainable throughout an entire match if you're giving away the ball in the positions that we were. Yeah, so second half, right, I think we'd want a response, but again, when it's not tied to anything systemic and you're just kind of randomly saying work harder, it's much harder to execute because you're, you know, work harder towards what goal, right? And so I'm sure Osnar said what he, he needed to say at halftime. You know, this, we have to win, come out and do better. But the second half was just worse. <laughs> it was just worse. I, I thought Zoranoza really started to fall apart. Like, and it's really disappointing because she's a veteran midfielder. We really need her to step up and help us control the midfield. Like in preseason, we were like so impressed. Felt like she had the chemistry. I know, you know, it was preseason, but it felt like we're, there was something real there. And it feels like that's all disappeared now. And a lot of misplaced passes, not on the same wavelength as runners. 
And then eventually we end up getting to the goal that we concede in the 64th minute, which was coming for sure. We, we should have been one nil down by this point at least. And we, we just never get organized from a defensive set piece. I mean, I don't know if we want to talk about that again, right? But corner kick, we cleared a kind of like the opposite corner. Bobet Pater and Kenti Robles are the ones that step out to go and defend on the touchline. So we pulled two defenders away and eventually Athletic Bilbao are kind of like able to scrappily play back to the center. And when we do that, we're trying to push out, we're trying to reorganize. And, you know, people are in all sorts of different positions. They normally wouldn't be if we were in a set block. I think it was Marua who was able to play the pass to Nekane Diaz, who came on in the second half, and I thought had a really good cameo. And so Ivana does her thing. She steps up to her. But that comes with a certain level of risk, right? And you need, you know, you need good coverage. You need good coordination. Usually Pater would be there to try to cover. But it's Claudia Zornoza. And so Nekane plays a neat little backflip. She knows what's coming for Ivana. And she hits the space in behind. And Zornoza is just not aware at all. I know that's, that's a situation she's not used to defending in. But she was there. I need to see who's the player who slipped in and ends up being the school scorer. That was her, 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 her mark. That was her player. And she's just so slow to it. And it's a one versus one, another one. And this time Misa can't stop it. I don't, I don't want to necessarily blame, bin all the blame on Zornoza because like it was just an inability to reorganize and reset after such a situation. But that happens after set pieces when people are all over the place. You didn't clear adequately. That's when you need people to be able to recognize in those instances. And I just feel like with Zornoza this season, I've actually been impressed with some of her pressing actions. She had some good wins high up the pitch in the first half. But anytime she's asked to track a run, you know, deep or something like that, which has been an issue with her at Levante, it's like she goes missing. And I think it happened on that goal. Like it was, she was put in the worst. Like that's absolutely the position I do not want her to be in defending on the last line or running behind. And that's where she was. And I think that just sums up, sums up, you know, around the season, right? Like when it rains, it pours. We don't play badly. We shoot ourselves in the foot, but also like we're, we're put in like the worst possible situations, like all of it just coming together. But I don't know, Grant, do you have anything else you kind of want to critique on that goal? No, I think you broke it down. Um, like you said, it was coming. And, you know, there was a nice flick. Zornosa wasn't locked in and this is what happens when you continue to give teams good opportunities and you're not organized defensively beforehand Osnar actually makes a substitution in the 58 minute Olga Carmona comes on for Caroline Miller Hansen by the way Hansen and Athenia kind of swapped wings at like 35th minute I'm not sure it did anything I was maybe thinking that one tiny solution could be put Lorena on the left or sorry on the on the, on the right and um, I mean, it doesn't necessarily actually matter that much the way she plays, but put her on the right, put Muller in the center behind Naikari. And that actually gives us an extra option between the lines instead of just it being Naikari. And we know that one of Muller's strengths is hold up play. If we're not able to build on the ground, we could have played into her chest. Just see how it works. Like I was thinking the last 15 minutes of the first half, clearly nothing else is working. Try it. Let's see what happens. If it's not good, we can scrap it. Right? I mean, Osnar is on the fucking sideline. Like, he can say, okay, let's move to something different. It's, it's not that hard. And, um, I mean, that never came. I'm not surprised by that. I didn't think he was going to do that. But I thought that was maybe something to give us an extra thing in possession. And then 
really cause issues. You have two people playing behind the double pivot. Center backs are cautious to step out because Naikari occupies like some of our best performances have come when we put multiple players between the lines, right? And it's it's not like we have to instruct Lorena to do it. We play place her out wide. She acts like a roaming fan. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm all over the place today, but, you know, it's it one of those days. So that was something I was thinking. It didn't happen. Muller, anonymous performance. She comes off in the 58th minute. I thought she, I mean, come, she should have come off at halftime. I thought Atenea was actually worse in over 90 minutes, but Atenea has the ability to change the game no matter how bad she's playing in a way that Muller doesn't. So obviously you keep her on. I, I mean, do you, do you think she should have come off at halftime or... You know, yeah. it doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I thought she should have. Yeah, so I don't know exactly why he waited till the 58th minute, but at least he brought her on then. I don't think Olga was particularly great, but suddenly there were some dangerous crosses coming into the box, and um, it was a little better. And then Athletic scores the goal, and this is what I'm talking about, like our, our, our now sudden inability to react. It just, after that goal, it was just, it was a disaster. It was not good. You know, everything started falling apart. And Osnar goes with 77th minute. Lucia Rodriguez comes on for Kenti Robles. You know, okay, whatever. I mean, I don't think Kenti was quite great. But in that particular sub, I, I didn't know what, you know, whether it was going to make such a huge difference. But ultimately, I didn't care. It was like, whatever. Lucia is a good right back. What's more interesting is three minutes later, we only see three minutes of Lucia at right back. And he puts on Claudia Florentino for Bobic Baker because Bob because Bob's is injured. Okay, so like that I understand. But in the 80th minute, also Rocio Galvez comes on for Marta Cordera. And in the moment, I was like, okay, this is I mean, I I I, I didn't actually realize that we only had one fullback on the field. Um you know, and so I was like, okay, this is gonna be a back three with like Florentino there. And then the rest of the, like the game, I see Florentino playing in midfield. And I was like, you know, what is going on? And then I go back and realize like, this was like, if it was a back four, it was asymmetric because it's Rocio, Ivana, Claudia Florentino, and Lucia are the four defenders on the pitch. That's it. Those are the four defenders. And it doesn't really make sense, right? So what happened? And I went back and checked. And this is the interesting thing. Lucia Rodriguez played as a left center back and Claudia Florentino played in defensive midfield. And it was a 3-5-2 formation um, with, um, uh, with Atene and Olga as like, you know, wingbacks basically. And Lorena and Naikari as the strikers. And then Maiten and Zornosa were the two interiors ahead of Claudia Florentino. What did you think about that? You know, the man never fails to, to surprise us. And I'm sure we'll talk about it. It may have been his, uh, his last grand surprise for us. It was something. It was really something. Um, but, I mean, I guess if you're playing devil's advocate, we haven't been able to have anything work all season so why not try and throw something interesting in there because i mean i don't think we created an actual shot on target that wasn't from like 30 yards out for the majority of the game um not what i would have done probably but at some point you know 
you got to try and find something that works and you just do some crazy things and hope that it pans out. I mean, because clearly we're not going to have a sustained possession game like we should because we've been asking for it for a year and a half now and we haven't seen anything like it. So I don't know. It was it was immediate reaction time, and I'm glad I had one uh, one eye on my on my immediate reaction and not two eyes on this game because it was a bit tough at the end there. It was painful, man. The season's been painful. Yeah, I mean, I guess he was trying to have like you know two center forwards up there. I mean, I, I just I mean the back three got us back in the game versus Granadillas, so I understand it. But, like, I don't know why he just didn't, like, I mean, sub off, like, Atene or something. Like, I mean, it was so bizarre to put to try to go for three central midfielders. Like, ordinarily, if we had another central midfielder on the bench, like, okay, sure, go for it. Because it's not obvious which one of the attackers you should take out to go back three, right? And, you, I mean, you can't take out a central midfielder. You can't have just one central midfielder. So, you know, Naikai has not had a good game at all, but she's like the only true box threat in the side. Lorena's been our best player. So do you want to take her off? You've just subbed on Olga. You, I mean, you're not going to take her off. Athenea's been terrible, but she has the ability to spark something at any moment. So I get it. It's not super obvious who you take out, but I just thought Claudio Florentino as the single pivot defensive midfielder was just complete chaos. Like she was really trying to offer herself to the ball, you know, make she was, she was bombing into the box, you know, like right after she was forming a back foreign possession for some reason. And like she was trying things. It was a difficult tactical context, but it just looked like she had no clue like what she was doing there. And I know she has experience in that position, though I think it's more in a double pivot as a defensive midfielder where we've seen her there and she actually like she looks like she knows what she was doing. In this moment, it was just so weird, especially because we already had a back three it's not like it would have been obvious for her to drop between the center backs and, you know, kind of do what a normal single pivot does. It's a tough, one of the toughest roles to manage in football. And if you have to manage it in a different way, if you're playing above a back three and she, I mean, you guys can go back and look at the last 10 minutes. She was all over the place. And ultimately I don't really think it did anything. Certainly not like what happened versus Granadilla. The other thing is right Athletic Bilbao are one of the best teams in the league at defending crosses. This is something Isa at Orozismo on Twitter, like, kind of asks, is like, why did, did Real Madrid not scout us? Why, why, are they, why are they attacking this way? Well, I mean, it's because that's how we attack everyone. But, you know, if that gave us greater territorial dominance and allowed us to put more crosses into the box, it didn't really matter because Athletic Club were, like, super comfortable. So there was that one Atenea chance at the end. I thought Zornoza did well to find it, but it was also the one time Athletic Cobal fell apart defensively. That's it. That was the one chance. She didn't take it. 86-minute Athletic Bilbao score, and it just sums it all up, right? Misa, awful, awful pass to Rocio, who I don't really think could do anything trying to control the ball with their head. And it turns out to be the perfect return ball to Anias Conafuente, and she finishes past Misa, and that was just on Misa there. Like, her distribution is probably the weakest part of her game, but that was, that was an awful ball, and that, that was game. Any, anything we want to talk about 
um, in regard to the game? Because I know we have big picture stuff to get to. No, I mean, I think the only thing that maybe could have been done other than Misa finding a better pass is just letting that go out of bounds. I mean, that, that probably takes an awareness that you're not really planning for knowing everything, but by trying to keep that ball alive, you you assisted a goal basically. Um, not saying that like it's her fault or anything. I was just trying to break down what could have maybe gone different. And the, the only things would be a better pass or just kind of letting that go. In my opinion, obviously we played terribly, but I never want to take credit away from the opposition. I thought, as I mentioned before, Athletic came with a very clear plan to exploit everything that we did, right? Clear defensive structure to block what we were doing and build up. They knew we were going to try to find Lorena through the center. And after that, it was a case of denying what we had out wide, which they did very well. Again, I mentioned their, how they played behind our full. Like, Kenty was, like, caught up the field literally every single time they attacked. It was crazy. Um, and they did it with such decisiveness. And that brings me to like Lucia Garcia's performance. I thought she was excellent. Like a nightmare for Kenti, making really good runs in behind. I felt like the first half was really her half. And um, she was like one to highlight for me because she was, she was a problem player for us. She was the one who made the pass for the first one versus one. She was good. And Athletic are a solid, solid team. Big picture stuff. And, you know, I'm glad to be. Honestly, I haven't had less fun discussing the game in a long time. And we got thrashed by Levante 4-0, which was still a worse performance than this. There was at least something cathartic about, you know, just, you know, unleashing and criticizing. This is, this is just painful. Um, so big picture stuff. If you guys haven't heard already, the Mente and Blanco guys have revealed it. So, you know, I can now. That's always my cue to know, like, what information can be revealed and what's not. But multiple sources to multiple people including the Mente and Blanco crew, have told that that's it, Osnar's done. You know, he's gone. That enough is enough. It's already done. All we're waiting for is a statement. Um, the only reason I'm, you know, not going to say that 100% believe it is because one of the people who told me they received that information said they're unsure whether to believe it. I don't know if they're saying that because they don't necessarily trust the source, a normally reliable source. Or, you know, whether it's just because it's like a too good to be true thing, but we'll wait, we'll wait to see whether it happens. I don't know why Real Madrid wouldn't have just announced it already, if that's the case. I think that they may not have announced it because they didn't want anything to interfere with the men's game when it's going on. I know that sounds horrible, but that's the kind of thing that I think that they might do. (laughs) Also... You know, the way that we get uh, official announcements, we could just show up on Wednesday and have a new coach on the touchline. And because they don't feel the need to tell us anything. So, you know, there's always that. That's fully possible. Like, we we just show up to the Champions League game and, like, there's Irene and we're like, where where the hell is Osnar? He's not in the squad list. And (laughs) and that's the way of announcing it. Um, Like... I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's how we do it. I mean, it's not like we had any comunicado oficiales for transfers or anything. They were just tweets. Maybe the most is we'll get is a tweet and not a comunicado oficial, which, you know, would be pretty bad, to be honest. It'd be kind of embarrassing. But, you know, regardless, to be honest, I have a draft article ready. If it's if the news is out, all I or Grant or I have to do is just go and hit publish. 
So right now, it just looks like his position is very precarious, I think is fair to say, which I don't know how surprising that is because there's a sense like I just felt like there's like nothing Osnar can do that the club won't let go. But to be honest, like he was getting results, like like Real Madrid's a results-oriented club. Like they don't, with coaches at least, there's zero evidence to say they considered like the actual like performance or how much the coach is contributing to the performance, right? As long as the, you know, the team is getting results, playing relatively well, regardless of how much the coach contributes to things, they're good. If the results go bad, no matter what the performance is like, they're out. And so, so this, is, this is the thing I wanted to ask you, right? Because my personal opinion actually is that Osnar is not the most responsible person for this port run of form. Part of it is like just a philosophical view of impact. People who are most responsible for any result on the pitch are the players. Win or lose, even with the greatest coach in the world, the most important people are the players. Now, this is not to say that, oh, the managers, you know, don't matter, right? Like, how, how do you judge them then? You judge them relative to other managers' impact. What's baseline impact? Do they, do, do they overperform that? Do they underperform that? That's how you tell what a good manager is and what a bad manager is, right? Are they doing better than you'd expect from, you know, managing the situation? Are they maximizing the resources at their disposal? Are they enhancing what they have? Or is the team, you know, winning and performing despite them, which is fully possible, right? Because again, they, they're by far the most important people on the pitch. And yeah, and so I think that's how you have a situation where I, I personally don't think, and I don't know if this is the case with many people because. This is the one case where the first time really I've seen in Real Madrid history where we're winning and people don't like the manager, which I think just goes to show, you know, how bad Osnar is. Like, I, I don't like to see it that way, but I, I don't think there's any way around it, right? So, but anyway, I don't think your opinion should have changed at all from last season to this season because Osnar has been the same, basically, right? And it's precisely because players make the most impact that we could get second place last season, right? And Osnar could have not been doing a good enough job. And yet this season, a lot of this can still not be his fault. And yet he can still not be the right man for the job. And when I say it's not all his fault, like clearly injuries are a huge issue here. We just discussed the whole thing with Cardona. The opponents, we like the schedule we faced has been a nightmare. But most importantly, in a lot of these games, I mean, the players have just not shown up. Like Levante was just on them. Like that was a, that was a disgusting performance. Um, Atletico Madrid, you know, if that was the game he positioned Naikari Garcia on the right a lot, of that goes on Osnar, but they were poor. Granadillo was just awful, right? And then we have this game where, again, the players just, you know, they melted on the pitch. Like, a lot, a lot of it is on them. Injuries, other factors, right? But here's the thing. Uh, we know the quality of these players. The, they will get back to their normal level. The injury should not continue forever, right? Theoretically, it'll get better. The schedule obviously gets better, right? You can't have an insanely difficult, you know, pack of the schedule, not have an easier, you know, pack somewhere else. What is the one constant that Osnar is not good enough, right? Which is why, and this is just as an institution, we need to be able to look at a coach's performance and be able to evaluate causation. It can't just be a simple correlation equals causation thing. Right, we have to be able to isolate a manager's impact from what is happening on the field, and be able to judge whether winning or losing 
how much they're contributing to that, how much they're detracting for that. Because then you can be in a situation where you don't run into one point in five games and all of a sudden you're going to sack a coach after the season has started and all the turmoil that comes with that and put someone else into hot seat, which is never a great thing, right? Like it, it correlates generally like pretty badly with, you know, long-term performance across the season because you just, I mean, you wasted all the preparation time with a coach who had his own ideas, who's in charge of his own things. And then you just, it should have been done after the end of last season. And if we had been honest, if we had not just, you know, blindly followed the results, we would have said, okay, Osnar, thank you for what you've done. Place in Real Madrid history. You took us a second place, took in the Champions League. Goodbye. Maria Pri is leaving Levante. Let's hire her and put her as coach of Real Madrid. Bang, we move on. But now we're in a situation, oh man, the results have gone the other way. So no, why did we put ourselves in this situation? We're all, suddenly now we're like the men. No, I mean, this is just us shooting ourselves in the foot. This is bad process. It's bad management from the top. It's not just the Real Madrid thing to be fair, but we have a track record of this more than any other club, I think. And, you know, like as long as, long as it's in Ano Rosell's decisions, I don't think she's going to get rid of Osner. I think this is other people stepping in and saying now it's time, but we should have been paying attention before. Florentino should have been paying attention before and realize what, what was the case because, you know, it'll get better, you know, hopefully if like, for example, Rene's in charge, but it would have been a lot better if like she had a preseason, even if we're not going to hire, you know, another coach, right? So that's my feeling on it. Um, you, I mean, Grant, you can speak to any of any anything I said, but I was just interested to know, like, what you think is the most responsible, you know, for our poor start to the season. And I put out a series of polls on Las Blanc because the majority of people think Osna is the primary culprit. What do you think about that? I think it's hard to put it on one thing. The injuries are devastating, right? But these are the same type of issues that we've seen. So, I mean, it's really, it's really tough. I don't, I don't want to also just say it's all Osnar. Like, I think that's unfair. It's well documented that neither of us are, are fans of him and think that there are better people to have the job. But I think that there's just a combination of a whole lot of things all mixed together that have made bad results and these bad results have continued into more bad results. And like you were talking about the confidence and everything, but I think a lot of the time, the most easy thing to do is change the coach. And that has an immediate impact of some sort and potentially a long-term impact. I mean, you can't go out and sign, you know, a bunch of players. You can't get rid of a bunch of players. Not saying that either of those are the option, but often the coach is the one that takes the brunt of the criticism for moments like these because they're the most replaceable. Yeah, that's a factor. And I think it's important that you mention kind of like the snowball effect. We see it so often, right? Like little by little, things compound on each other, lose confidence, you start making mistakes. And it's like a chain reaction, right? Like when, when you isolate any one game, you think, oh, we should regress to the mean. But it's like linked to all the other games. It was kind of like the, the Lopetegui tenure. Like it's just, 
we we were unlucky in the beginning and we were unlucky again and then we we're unlucky and then we went from I was, unlucky to being I was thinking about the Lopetegui like, thing. Right. We went from that to being like just really bad and then like awful versus Barcelona. And it's like all of that may not have happened if we had just like converted our chances in one game, right? Like it's funny how that works sometimes. But I'm not saying that's that's everything with it, obviously. I mean, it's a whole host of issues. This is why isolating causation is so difficult. And I think you really need to take it seriously. You can't just be like, ah, we won. So like 100% of the credit goes to one person. It, it, like it makes no sense, right? Because it, it's complicated. Um, but it's definitely a factor. Like we're, we're at rock bottom right now in terms of confidence, in terms of belief. We're missing characters who could really like Cardona is fucking pissed when we lose a preseason game. Imagine how she'd be now. I also think that the way that we handle preseason plays a big part into it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's... And I don't know who who was in charge of that, if that was Osnar, if that was the club, if that was a combination. But I don't think we handled that well. I think it is probably related to some of the injuries that we've had. I think that's another huge factor. Yeah, I... I, I don't it's it's not been great like the, the way we've handled a lot of this season so far has just been really poor outside of the Manchester City games and yeah I mean fundamentally it comes down to, and, and here's the thing I don't think things get magically better Osnar goes we still have all these other issues to deal with but again what what is what is the area where relative relatively can we improve the most it's obvious the coach is the easiest place to improve aside from, you know, signing players in particular areas, full lack, you know, midfield. And I don't think the front office, I don't think Ana Rosell, my understanding, she's still the sporting director, gets off scot-free here because it would be a lot easier for us to manage this injury crisis if we had solved obvious issues that we have been talking about for a very long time. But, I mean you know, getting rid of her now is going to make it no difference. The transfer window is closed, right? Like that, that's gone. So, you know, aside from that, the most obvious place to improve over the large sample size is, is Osnar. Because, I mean, if, if the players are going to continue to play like this, we're truly fucked. Like there's nothing that can be done, right? But, you know, a reasonable person would assume Claudia Zornoza is not going to continue to play like absolute like Maite Rose will raise her level above this. Misa will not continue to give the ball away like this. Nathanael Del Castillo, who's one of the most talented players in the world, will come back and, and start, you know, playing. Well. Like we expect their level to come back. And so, what is the one thing where you know the level has been the same? It's Osnar, and the, and and that's a problem when the level is not good. So, usually the defense is is when when a coach is tactically inept, right? They motivate the players. They have a great relationship with the players. From what I know, I mean, I'm not saying there's like hatred there or anything. The relationship between him and a lot of the players is tenuous. They weren't happy with the way preseason was approached. They weren't happy with the physical grind of it all. I mean, there have been clashes in the past, you know, between him and, and like players. And I'm not saying like anything sinister, but in terms of like real differences of opinion. So it's not like he even has this thing, great control of the dressing room, right? I mean, he just, he just really doesn't offer that much. Aside from continuity, being familiar with the squad, it's not great. And, um, you know, I, I don't really take pleasure in it, uh, to be quite honest. Um, I think we, we voice our opinion because that's what we're supposed to do. 
And, um, you know, and I say this to people I respect. Um, I'm not saying any, any one person on people I follow do this, but I don't like it when people at Osnar on Twitter, you know, and say stuff to him. And um, because I, I just think it's, it's unnecessary, right? Like yeah. we can have our opinions. That's our right as football fans. That's our job, you know, as, as Real Madrid journalists or whatever, we have to do this. But I don't think it, we don't need to direct it at him, right? Like he's not going to be listening to a random fan's opinion. All he's going to get is just a lot of negativity. I, I don't think he's enjoying this right now. I'm sure he feels like shit. I mean, yeah, just let him. He's not like he's trying to sabotage the team. Like he's, he's trying. I mean, he's doing his best, and we think his best is not good enough. Fine, but I don't think we need to direct it at him. And a lot of the people who do this with Hosnar won't do this with players. And I think if you don't do it with the players, you shouldn't do it with the coach. That's my opinion. Like, it, 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 it's not, it, it doesn't help in any way. You're just satisfying, you know, a desire you have for yourself. It's, it's a bit of a selfish act. And I see that as timely as possible because people... I really respect who have done a lot for me do this. And I just disagree with it. That's just my opinion. I don't think it should be done. And so like, I really mean this when I say seriously, I don't have any ill feeling towards this guy. I don't want this guy to suffer. I don't want pain to him. I'm just saying what I see. And I don't think it's good enough. I think he should go not because of what happened this season, because of what happened last season. But this is kind of like the ideal point in time. This is maybe the only point in time Real Madrid's higher ups will recognize that he's not good enough. And so, you know, if he's going to go now, that's, that's still better. So that's where I stand with it. I think this has been a very consistent opinion with us for a very long time. And yeah. um, nothing we're saying should surprise you guys. And I, I agree with you, Om. And I think it's still important to remember, no matter how much we've criticized or other people have criticized, this is a man who helped lead the team to some of the most historic moments in its history. I mean, the second place finish, he was in charge. The Manchester um, City tie, he was in charge, and he deserves respect for that, even if we don't ag- agree with a lot of the things that he've, he's done and we've poked fun at substitutions and things like that. Ultimately, he has helped this club quite a bit, and you know maybe if someone else was there, we would have seen more improvement or we might be playing a style we, we like more. But this guy has given his all for the club, and he's helped us rise to you know last last season the top two in, in spanish women's soccer so he, he he deserves respect for that but i do think it is time that that we move on and people just need to remember that everyone is human everyone is doing their best and everyone in this situation loves this club and is just trying to we all want the same thing so there's no reason to take hate out on on anyone even if you have differing opinions or whatever just there's no there's no place for that on Twitter or face to face or whatever. It's just football. It's just football. It's not that serious. You know, if we're talking about like real abuse, you know, stuff we've seen with the NWSL, we, we, we talk about, you know, the thing that happened between Ana Rosel and Zara Mujica and, you know, some of her cronies. Like, yeah, I mean, that's like real stuff. Like that, that's serious stuff that you need, yeah, directly talk to them and demand accountability, right? Like Lisa, you know, Baird, um, I don't know if I pronounced her last name yep, correctly. That's right. I mean, yeah, when we're talking about something like to the complete, you know, ultimate extreme of seriousness where there's like sexual coercion from the coach that she helped basically cover up, yeah, fucking add her and tell her to resign. That's, 100%. Some, seri- that's some serious shit. This 100%. isn't that. This is not managing a football team correctly in our opinion. 
it's not that serious. I know we love the club. I mean, if I'm telling you it's not that serious, it's not that serious because I'm a fucking psycho who spends like, you know, 130% of my day, like staring at tactical diagrams, you know, <laughs> and like writing articles that no one, no coach is ever going to read and like, you know, take advice. It's like literally pointless. So if I'm telling you it's not that serious, it's not that serious. Voice your opinions. We're doing this for our entertainment, but just stay within perspective. Is all I'm going to say. So the natural question will be if Osnar is gone. And again, it's not 100% certain, but the information says that he is gone. Who is the replacement? Now, what I think is going to happen if he is gone is Irene Ferreras will simply be the coach. And um, people ask, how good is she? To be frank, I don't really know. I uh, asked the Mente and Blanco people when they did their live podcast. And actually, I sent in an audio recording of me speaking in Spanish. So you guys can go to their Twitch channel. <laughs> and hear me <laughs> attempting to speak Spanish, um, basically asking them the question. And, um, you know, consensus was she did well with Rayo. It was a really poor season with Valencia afterwards, which, which was her previous job before co- coming to be assistant coach at Real Madrid. And ultimately, very unsure whether she's like this magical solution, but she's like a diligent coach. She prepares well and that she'll be a superior option to Aznar. So, I mean, that's really the most I can say. I don't want to pretend that I know more than I do. You know, when we learn more and if she becomes a new head coach and we get to see her, we'll evaluate her as they come. So, like, I'm sorry, that's all the information I really have. It's not like I watched 1920 Valencia in Primera Iberdrola in 1819 or 1718. Like, I'm sorry, I just didn't. (laughs) Um, You know, I wasn't watching women's football at the time. Even if I was, those weren't going to be two teams I pay attention to. So. There's that. And then other options where this is just pure um, speculation. There's like been nothing, you know, linking us to any of these people. I just want to make that clear. Obviously, the number one option that everyone is talking about is Maria P, Maria P, Maria P, who currently is managing her own club. She's actually in the Copa Libertadores and her team has a chance of going far, apparently. So, Theoretically, she's not really going to be available until December. And um, I mean, the case for her is quite obvious. We've talked about her a lot, actually, last season when she was coach of Levante. She knew Zornoza. She knew Rocio Gave. She knew Esther Gonzalez. So she has a relationship with players already, but also one of the more tactically astute coaches in the league. And um, she did impressive things with Levante, took them to third place last season. She's a, she, she's a good coach, right? I mean, she's, I, I don't know, you know, if, if she's like the elite of the elite, but she's clearly better than Osnar. And I, I watched a decent bit of, bit of Levante last season. I came away like Levante, Real Sociedad were basically the two teams, in addition to Athletic Madrid Barca, that I watched the most. And I like she's a good coach. Like tactically, she's astute. She has a clear system in mind. She has, you know, fundamentally sound ideas of of ways of, of trying to play the game. And um, she's she's pretty well respected among the uh, Spanish footman community. The thing is, though, like, why would she leave, right? I mean, she's barely been at her club. Um, you know, is she just going to say, okay, the season is over in December. I'm going to go to Real Madrid now in the middle of the season to a team, you know, that we don't know how volatile they'll be. Like, why wouldn't she just wait to the end of the season and see what her chances are like? It's a lot to move to one place, settle down. I don't know if she has family that she's moved with or anything. Like, it's not a given that she'll just be, oh, Real Madrid, I'm going to come there, right? So um, 
there's nothing at the moment to say that we can go there. I mean, I asked, I added her on Twitter and asked her to come, but I don't think that's going to do anything. Um, but she would, she would, I, I mean, I would love that choice, to be quite honest, but nothing to say that she will. Now, two people who are, who are not attached to anyone, Luis Cortez, who was the Barcelona manager last year, and uh, Jose Luis Sanchez Vera, who is the ex-Atletico Madrid coach. He was like on, off, you know, like he, was, he wasn't coached for the beginning of last season. Then he came back and he left at the end of the season. And before last season, he was the coach of Atletico Madrid. It was a weird situation, but, you know, he was, he was coached there. He's free and, you know, he was caught liking some Real Madrid tweets, you know, which maybe indicates that he's showing some interest for the job. And then in terms of Luis Cortez, his agent like posted a pic of him with trophies and he's like, it was something like four months you've been waiting on to the next thing or something like that. So take of that what you will. I'm not saying there's any concrete things, but these are two people who I would be surprised we weren't thinking about because they managed high profile clubs in Premier Bedrola. I mean, Luis Cortez won the treble and uh, we might be without a coach soon. I think it'll probably be Rene who we go forward with which is maybe partly also why we made her assistant coach, right? Because we felt like, oh, we can't sack Osnar because of the results. I hate that logic, but she's the backup, right? doesn't go well. We have her. I don't know. That, that might be it, but those are the other two guys. And um, quickly, my thoughts on them. So Sanchez Vera was impressed with, like, his defensive tactics seemed to have a pretty, you know, clear identity. Obviously, it's Atletico Madrid. Like, they're always a very good defensive team. And I didn't watch as much of Atletico Madrid in the second half of the season where he, when he was coach, but I got a sense that his solutions in possession were not quite the most sophisticated. So I wonder if he comes and we just kind of have the same problem. I don't know, but he would be an upgrade on Osnar in my opinion. And then Luis Cortez, I think, of the realistic options, Purely from a tactical sense, I, I think he's a step above. It's always hard to say, okay, you're going away from the greatest team in the world. What does your tactics look like at Real Madrid where you need to be, do a bit more heavy lifting? But, I mean, people say, oh, it's easy to win with Barca. Sure, sure, whatever, whatever. What I saw, from my tactical knowledge, was not a team of talented individuals doing their own things, overwhelming opponents to the individual quality alone. It looked like highly talented individuals being optimized to the maximum effect within a coherent system, having internalized fundamental principles of play that were Luis Cortez's, which is the exact way you approach a team of that level of quality. Again, players are the most important. You don't judge a manager by, oh, are they more impactful than the players? Because that's never the case. It's how are you maximizing what's at your disposal? And I thought Luis Cortez maximized his 11 on the pitch about as well as I could see. Like, they were fantastic side tactically Barcelona. The issue is, one, the rotations were not good. I mean, he kind of ran his team into the ground. I mean, Barcelona wins every game 9-0, and he'd start the same 11 against opponents he didn't need to. That was kind of an issue. We can't have that with our 11. Though I don't, I don't know if you can just translate that and say, oh, he won't rotate at Real Madrid. I mean, we're, we don't have the same quality of 11, right? So I don't know what to feel about that. So that was one issue. I kind of had with him, but a lot of people had with him and it went to the extent that people felt he just wasn't a good coach, like flat out because of that, which I feel like misses the mark. The bigger issue is the whole thing where basically Barcelona players are like, fuck you, get out. We don't want you as coach, <laughs> right? Like 
And Barcelona made the right decision and they, you know, they, they sacked him because players are more important, right? I mean, if you want, you know, Alexia, do you want Jenny Hermosa to be pissed off? You, like literally all the captains came together, Vicky Lasala included, and she was leaving sick. This guy's got to go. That like is on the face of it, like a red flag, right? Like why did the players come together and kick this guy out? I really can't speak to it in detail. I'm sorry, I can't. But I do, I can vaguely say that there may have been ego issues within that Barcelona dressing room. And it may not have been totally Cortez's fault. It's the most I can say about it. If that is the case and it's an ego issue, then I feel a lot more comfortable about him coming to Real Madrid. Like my worry is that it was like something sinister, you know, to, I mean, I'm not saying anything like the NWSL stuff, but some, something that may have been his fault, whether, you know, just being like a Mourinho type to doing something worse. I don't want that anywhere near my club. But if it's an ego thing with Barca, that you know people don't want to talk about because of what they represent in Spanish football, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's fine. I don't think we'll have the same issues at Real Madrid, at least not yet. And so, yeah, Cortez would be my number one pick if, if that is true. I don't know if I left much for you to say, Grant, but what do you think about these options, realistic, not realistic? Rene Maria Pri, Luis Cortez, Jose Luis Sanchez, better. Yeah, um, I mean... All of them, I think, are probably good candidates. I can't speak as much like you talked about, about Irene. But I think that it would be cool to have a female head coach leading Real Madrid. I think Maria Pri um, is, is a great coach. I think that Irene, from what I've heard from you and the Mente and Blanco people, could also be a good coach and I think that you know it's important to have females in these kind of leadership roles to help grow the game if you can see it you can be it and obviously you know these these people are all qualified we're not just handing them the job because of their gender but I think it is important you know as as Real Madrid to be leading in this front um, there are still a real lack of female coaches in the women's game around the world. I think Spain actually does a pretty decent job compared to a lot of other leagues, but that, that is something that I would like to see from Real Madrid. Today. And look, if Maria Pri wants to come, she's welcome. She's welcome to come. I think she'd be great. And, um, you know, not saying she'd be perfect, but then we have real things to criticize, like real tactical things to talk about as opposed to, the same thing every time oh man he's like not doing she's not doing anything so yeah i mean that's that's most of the big picture stuff right anything else we're missing no i think i think that's that's mostly it next game i mean i'm not pronouncing this correctly like zydo blood zydo bud one zitlo bud one however you pronounce it it's it's an asteroid identified in 2035 that will be playing against Wednesday, October 6th, 12.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, match day one of the UEFA Women's Champions League. And I know we all feel like shit, but let's get pumped for that, right? We're in the fucking Champions League. Well, and that's a game that we should win, regardless of form. Regardless of form, that is a game that we should win. And we should still, regardless of league form, be aiming to get out of this group at the least. 
Yeah, I mean, that should be the target, absolutely. And let's hope Champions League DNA and all that, right? Like, Because the team absolutely is looking for the pick-up now. Like Lorena Navarro posting afterwards. We get up, we look towards the next game. I mean, stuff they're always going to post, but I think there really is a sense that, like, shit, man, like, this is really bad. Like, it can't go on any longer. And um, Yeah, I mean, we saw it in the, in the reactions from the players. Yeah, I mean, Maite was crying at the end of that game, which was heartbreaking. If Maite cries, I cry. I don't think she was the only one, but I mean, they took it hard. It's just not like they don't care at all. They know we're, they're, they're playing really badly right now. And they know the difficulty of the situation we're in and how tough it's going to be to get back in the Champions League. So I think it'll be a nervy game just because of the confidence being shattered. But I'm expecting a response. I'm expecting a win. That's what I'm going in with. And I'm excited to watch our girls play on Wednesday. And then after that Sunday, it's a bar and the season continues. So I want to ask you, Grant, one last thing before we sign off. Are we going to qualify for the Champions League next year? It's going to be very hard. I think. Yes they- or no? Yes or no? No. I'm going to say yes. That's I how we'll I'm end wrong. it. I hope I'm wrong. I hope you're wrong too. That's how I'm going to end it. Ran, as always, thanks for doing this with me. All of Madrid. All of Madrid.